Uh, I think I think I hear. Oh, I hear keys. Uh huh. Hold on, DJ. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right. Oh, hey, here we are. Hi, Gertie. <sighs> All right, well, I'm a little emotional, so oh. please excuse me, but, you know, boys, okay. well, we didn't know each other very well back then when uh-huh. we first met, but... I guess not. Well, you guys have been around for all these episodes, so... Uh, yeah. Well, I've been told by the big guy to, to oh. let you in upstairs, so... Oh. And, and, and enjoy now, and, and, and don't trash the place. Uh, okay, uh, thanks, Gertie. Uh, come on, DJ. All right. You guys get on up there and enjoy that balcony. Go along now. Oh, there's some <laughs> steep steps. I'll, I'll do the intro. <laughs> okay. All right. Tonight, we join the boys in blue as they walk the beat under the glow of gaslight. (laughs) I look beautiful in gaslight. The series opens just months from an outbreak of serial killings in London's poverty-stricken East End. We've got ladies of the night. Hi. Hey, sweetie. Outlaws. And the bleeding edge of forensic science. Watch your step now. There be road apples ahead. <laughs> um, ew. It's time for Ripper Street. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of the golden oldies. And a smidgen of streaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host DJ and Toppy. Good evening, fine folks of Univaz. Welcome to a special episode of Matinee Minutia. And uh, we are here for lucky number 13. <laughs> and you know what's special about the number 13, Toppy? I don't know. You tell me. Well, there's a um, there is a a superstition that buildings that have number thirteen are unlucky. So on the elevator, you'll never see a thirteen. So the elevator it don't quite go to the top. Okay. <laughs> Sounded good at the time in my head, but uh, we are uh, here in a special place. We are at our thirteenth episode. How are you feeling tonight, Mister Smelly? Uh, DJ, I'm feeling more special than ever because we are sitting in the balcony. Uh, because I guess, well, we've been given the okay after all these episodes. Uh, you and I can sit in the balcony, so that's pretty special. Well, yeah, I would tell you what, these seats are a little nicer than the ones down below there, although they're pretty dusty when you sit down here. Yeah. Don't do that, please. <laughs> Gertie, uh, well, we got to make a note to uh, get the cleaning lady in here. I, I don't think that's Gertie's job. <laughs> uh, no, it probably isn't. Uh, but uh, she's uh, she's been nice to us. And we're pleased to have part of the little shoot. Uh, uh, DJ, what do we got? going on tonight what what little shoe are we looking oh well we are going to be talking about a uh, a british a bbc uh police drama that's set in victorian times this is a show that started in 2012 and it uh as she was saying as our showgirl was saying it's set in the time frame just after a series of historical murders during that period. Now, there was a serial killer who had a trademark, a calling card, if you will, that uh, when he met up with a lady of the night, he maybe he had her way, his way with her. But in the end, uh, she wasn't of this earth anymore. And uh, the calling card was the way... They met their maker, and uh, they called this man Jack the Ripper because of the style of the execution, as it were. 
Uh, he supposedly had the skill of a surgeon, and all these ladies who met with their fate uh, had the trademark that they would have their their throats cut. And, uh, well, it wasn't so pretty, but there were other parts that might have been missing. Mm-hmm. And this is the trailer for the series, their topic. This, you'll hear some of the voices of the characters, and uh, this is something you would have seen at the beginning uh, to highlight what you would see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Whitechapel. The scene of the worst, and please God the last. She's been ripped, Inspector. History's most notorious serial killer, Jack the Ripper, tore through London. Now, the detectives who were on the case... These citizens need their questions answered, Mr. Reed. No, they need their fears pacified. ...have to pick up the pieces. These streets demand your vigilance. I have others. Dead in such a way? How many? Four in two days. This populace, still without a culprit, it is to our uniform that they direct their fury. So you stand strong. They'll do their duty, sir. All roads lead to Whitechapel. What would bring them here? What has always brought men here? Ripper Street premieres Saturday, January 19th at 9, only on BBC America. (laughs) <laughs> but now you can see it on Netflix anytime you damn well. You know, we've gone on long about this. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, DJ Seth, uh, Seth Estate. Oh, certainly. Well, go ahead. Okay, so um, this program started in 2012, and we're just going to tell you a little bit about what was going on in the world during that time. So in 2012, in 60 seconds or so, the state of Utah bans happy hour. The, the discounts you get on drinks, there it's not allowed there. Uh, of course, it's the seat of the Mormon church, so go figure. Nine ah. states raised their minimum wage in 2012. The Mississippi governor, Hale Barber, pardons 200 prisoners. U.S. Supreme Court rules inmates cannot sue in federal court because a lot of those prisons, they have private contracting companies. Uh, court also rules later in favor of consumers suing for abusive telephone marketers. So if you're getting those automated calls to your home, you might be due for a lawsuit. Uh, let's see. Washington becomes the seventh state to legalize same-sex marriage. Remember, back in 2012, it wasn't national yet. Maryland became the eighth. And also in 2012, we try to keep on the lighter side of things, but there were some bad things that happened. Rutgers student and cyberbully Darun Ravi was found guilty of hate crime and invasion of privacy in the suicide of his roommate, Tyler Clementi. Uh, This involved a webcam and a same-sex encounter. The young man had not come out of the closet yet. Oh, yes, I remember that. Oh my God! A terrible yeah. thing. Um, and he he had to serve community service as a result of it. it was a landmark case. Also in 2012, Google was awarded the first U.S. license for an autonomous car, meaning it could drive itself. <laughs> See, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Still in a work in progress. Uh, (laughs) Newsweek ceased production as a paper publication. It's now online only as of 2012. Microsoft released Windows 8. So if you're not running Windows 8, your computer's quite antique by now. Disney purchased Lucasfilms, which was the parent company of the Star Wars franchise. And they purchased it for $4 billion. Billion with a B, folks. Yeah. And to round things out in 2012, if you're a junk food junkie like I sometimes am, Hostess Brands Bakery announced bankruptcy that year. They went away for a while, and it took a while before their brands got gobbled up, so to speak. Uh, Michigan became the 23rd state to pass right-to-work law, which means the employees of unionized offices cannot be forced to pay dues if they don't choose to participate in the union. Mm-hmm. And normally I would tell you about folks who joined this earth 
But in 2012, that was just a little while ago. So I'm <laughs> sure <laughs> all those all those folks would be little baby, well, little kids. So yeah, we won't the, do that. It's it's it. Our show airs at nine o'clock, so those kids are already in bed. Absolutely. Well, at least I hope so. It's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Do you remember? <laughs> that, that was a thing. That was a. Th- thing at least in the 70s now did you have a curfew whistle in your town growing up toppy well when i was growing up i was a goody too first of all i never went out anywhere my parents never had to work so but yeah in the 70s uh in city in big cities, at 10 o'clock they would have this public announcement that's it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? That's what is. Oh well, out in the haystack, um, we did have a curfew whistle, and I remember. Oh, well, my my siblings are all older than me, but before I was in middle school, I remember my siblings sneaking in just under the wire, and there was one night that my brother stayed out too late. Now, my dad had built this particular house with a hobby room, a crafting room, a sewing room for my mother, so it was a smaller room. But, you know, as brothers tend to do, we didn't get along all the time. So my brother took that room for his own, much to my mother's behest. And uh, one night, my brother stayed out late, and my dad decided to catch him in the act. He invited himself into my brother's room and laid on the bed, and my brother decided to crawl in through the window after 10 o'clock. Well, no sooner did he get in through the window... The dad was waiting there for him. (laughs) (laughs) So getting back to our show, Ripper Street began airing in 2012. It ran for four or five seasons. Now, we also tell you about what was the competition, what else was on TV in that time frame. So uh, on network television here in the Americas, we had a few shows that were saying goodbye that year. On ABC, we had the long-running soap of Brothers and Sisters that starred Sally Fields at one point and Neil Patrick Harris. And uh, also, for a couple seasons, there was a remake of the popular sci-fi series V. And we had on NBC, Bill Shatner's attempt at a sitcom, Beep My Dad Says... Uh, There was a paranormal show. It was an investigative show called Medium that said goodbye that year. And then on the other shows, uh, the other stations, there was the CW, which had Smallville, you know, the story about Superman's beginnings. And just brand new in 2012 on ABC, there was a sitcom about life working for the airlines, and it was called Pan Am because it took place in the 60s in the heyday of travel. We had... Mm -hmm, Go ahead. I I was just... I was just going, hoo-hoo. Oh, that was one show that I've meant to catch because I love anything nostalgic. Uh, I think it only... I only uh, got a couple of seasons, but I'm going to track that down um, for reasons I'll mention another time, perhaps. But uh, on CBS, that's the the not the Peacock Network. I think that's the I, the the Big Brother is watching you network, and no no wonder their uh, logo looks like a big eyeball. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was a series called Person of Interest that started in 2012. Rather interesting show uh, about a uh, a kind of a tactile, a war strategy computer that was being created. Um, CBS also had a new sitcom start that year called Two Broke Girls, which has gone down as being nicknamed the Laverne and Shirley of the 21st century. Uh, let's see the other shows that were new that year. Fox introduced New Girl, which starred Zoe De Chanel, who's a jazz singer and has been in a couple of Will Ferrell movies. And then also there was a short-lived sci-fi series called Terra Nova, where the premise was in the distant future, the Earth is trying to get by on its last legs. We've polluted the place to beyond repair, and they've decided we're going to go back to the time of the dinosaurs and start mankind over again. 
So they time travel to to save mankind. And then lastly, in 2012, NBC introduced a show about theater and Broadway productions called Smash. And lastly, uh, the sitcom Golden Girl, Betty White, introduced a new take on the hidden camera show, and it's called uh. Betty White's Off Their Rockers, which introduced um, the uh, the senior citizen stand-up comics yeah. to the scene. Did you, did you ever see that? I did. I saw a few episodes, and I can't tell you how much I laughed. I, I thought that was a oh. pretty funny gig. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just tell you. I was offended. Well, here's what I remember. Let me just tell you what I remember. Maybe it wasn't what the whole series was about. But I remember it be making fun of old people, and I didn't appreciate that. Well, there's a twist on it in a way. Um, I, I'm sure that it was a give and take because, of course, Betty White was hosting it. But a lot of the senior comics that were on that show were allowing themselves to be made fun of because they realized, you know, you're you're not going to be playing the spring chicken if you yourself are the senior. So they allowed themselves to be the butt of the joke. Well, maybe you maybe I, what I remember is <clears throat> I took offense at what they thought was funny, and in my mind, I thought, uh, Betty White, what are you doing? You're a senior citizen, and you're you're making fun. And I didn't think, I didn't think the making fun was in a very fun way. I thought at the end of the day, I interpreted it as just sort of like, we're making fun of old people and ha 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 on them. And I didn't like Well, I could see how you could feel that way. It, it, it certainly wasn't consistent you know, all the skits weren't as funny as the last. And to some extent, I'm sure that they were probably just using her star power. Oh, yeah. I was shocked, frankly, that she would be willing to be part of it. I guess that's just how badly I thought of the damn show. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that it was just shortly after she had finished her last TV gig, which was for TV Land. She did, oh, I want to say at least five or six years of a show called Hot in Cleveland. So yes. I, I don't think that she's formally acting any longer. She may be retired from public life, but I, I'm not absolutely sure. Yeah, I think she's, by and large, I think we'll have rarer opportunities to see doing her thing, but Certainly up till now, you know, she's been out there doing stuff, which I think is great. But DJ, we are here to talk about Ripper Street. I did want to go ahead and give mention to the cast, because we're talking about the times, and certainly that's important, because Ripper Street is what you might call a period piece. It sets you into the mindset of what was going on in that period of history, and, of course, the stories are based upon the events of that day. Now, uh, in the cast, in Detective Inspector, the head guy in charge of the precinct there uh, was playing Mr. Edmund Reed. We have actor Matthew McFadden. And aside from Ripper Street, in 2015, he played the part as Captain Von Trapp in a production of The Sound of Music. And also in 2010, just a few years before that, Mr. Matthew McFadden played the Sheriff of Nottingham in a Robin Hood remake starring Russell Crowe. Excellent. So he had... Um, uh, he, uh, McFadden portrayed Edmund Reed, who, uh, just going back to the real history... Uh, the, they, the, the creators of the series took the name of Edmund Reed, who was a real investigator in the Jack the Ripper cases. And uh, that's where that name comes from. And 
naturally, this entire series is fiction, but uh, in in history, Edmund Reed really was part of the Jack the Ripper investigation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we also have, aside from uh, Mr. Rothenberg, who plays Dr. Homer Jackson, he's the American in the cast. And uh, Mr. Rothenberg yeah. was an American-born actor, uh, born in New Jersey. He had several television roles before Ripper Street. He previously starred in a 2008 film with one of my favorite actresses, Diane Keaton. And it was a film called Mad Money. Now, this starred Katie Holmes and Queen Latifah. And it was it was basically a heist film where it was an inside job. They were working at a mint that makes money. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, uh, Mr. Rothenberg revealed in an interview that he had once held jobs as a garbage man and as a security guard. So he's no, he's no stranger to doing an honest day's work. <laughs> now, GJ, I got to ask you, how'd you like that? I found him, you know, he was irresistibly cute. I do think so. Now, of course, he was supposed to be... Um, the, the dashing man on the set, because, of course, every show has got to have the man who is, uh, you know, um, being sought after, the, the looker. And uh, uh, Dr. Jackson there, he was he, he was chasing a few of the skirts in that time, of course. Yes. It doesn't take long before you uh, learn that uh, not only is he good friends with the madam... Uh, Susan, yeah, yeah. who runs the the uh, the brothel nearby, which it's it's rather interesting because for being a period where women were underappreciated and certainly not having many rights at all, um, some of the best eyewitnesses were these the the prostitutes, the sex workers of the time, because. Through their their uh, career, I guess you'd say, they've learned certain certain skills. Like they could tell you the quality of a shoe and who made it, what it was probably worth. You know, uh, details about jewelry. I can't tell you how many times they had an episode with a murder suspect, and uh, one of the sex workers had somehow been involved, and they would provide a great amount of detail about what went on that evening and what this gentleman was like and sometimes a little too much detail, but Hey, (laughs) there you go. And the, uh, head of, uh, Bravo was played by actress Mayanna and she did a fabulous job there with that role. And the other, the third partnership between Edmund Reed and the captain was uh, an actor named Jer- Jerome Flynn, who uh, was uh, the very combative, very, no, how do you describe him? He was primal. Uh, he was the guy that did the beating for Edmund Reed and, and his character arc would eventually bring him out of that period where he was going to be the guy that, that beat up the prisoner to get a confession. And it was an amazing story. And what was his name? Brett? Um, Oh, the, the character's name. Yeah. Uh, Bennett Drake. Bennett. Bennett Drake. Damn good character. Oh, my God. All of these characters, the American, Edmund Reen, Bennett Drake, at least I found that as the series progressed and they presented their lives, I cared about these characters. Mr. Jerome Flynn, who plays Bennett Drake, the uh, gentleman that Toppy was just describing, is uh, a familiar face to some of you. If you're a uh, subscriber of HBO and maybe you've caught on to that phenomenon called Game of Thrones, 
Mr. Jerome yeah. Flynn played a character. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you the name of it because I don't watch that show. But a, a Jerome Flynn was in 31 episodes of Game of Thrones. So no stranger to a long running show. So I have to. And, and not a surprise either, because as a character actor, this guy has a face. Okay. <laughs> that is perfect. I mean, this face looks like he's had the problems of the world trampled over his face. It's wonderful. Yes. And, uh, you know, the characters change over the series now. And I chose the series. I came across it on Netflix. Oh, I don't know. A year and a half ago. Or maybe more. It captivated me primarily, first off, because of what I thought was going to be a a hard connection to Jack the Ripper. And what I was surprised to find out was the series starts out after the end of the Jack the Ripper killing spree. And and in fact, Ripper Street has little to do, if nothing, with Jack the Ripper, but is all about the a very much beleaguered police force that was involved in the investigation in Whitechapel, the H Division. And uh, the series picks up after Jack the Ripper has and the entire community kind of doubts that this police force can be much of a match for anything because well they they didn't solve Jack the Ripper and that's how the series starts out yeah I I was um, I was intrigued because of course you know with the name itself it suggests that there's going to be a connection with Jack the Ripper now, um, of course, if they were going to limit themselves to just investigating Jack the Ripper itself, I could see where that might, um, you know, try to focus itself into something more along the lines of a mini series because, you know, you're going to have a beginning and an end. Whereas if you're going to be writing for a TV show that you want to last for, you know, two or three years, maybe more, You've, you've got to come up with backstories and now you've got to have to have other people that matter. But, um, you know, I, I found the stories of the individual characters pretty interesting. Now, I have to ask, um, did you have any one in particular character from this cast that you enjoyed more? Well, the three leads are three men and... As far as I was concerned, they all took up the space of my caring pretty equally. In other words, they were three very well-written characters that I engaged and very much almost right out of the gate with episode one of series just thought, wow. I am captivated by these people. And it's really what made me keep watching. I think they they started out the game with a, an incredibly engaged episode uh, uh, with the first, second, and third episode. And then they went on from there. But by God, I was hooked by the end of the very first episode. How about you? I felt very much the same. Now, for anybody who hasn't caught this show, it is on Netflix, and I think it's also on Amazon as well. It started on the BBC, and after a couple of series, as they, as they call it overseas, it was picked up to be continued. Uh, this means it's good, a uh, good time to go fill your glass, and... Uh, and we'll be back in about three minutes. First, I'd like you to just hear the uh, the theme song to this. It's so well done. Okay, so here goes the theme.
it was such a beautiful piece of music there so much string and um you know i couldn't be for sure but uh would you say it's fair to say that that was probably banjo in there toppy yeah and that's interesting because i don't normally consider a banjo to be something i would associate with england or being english but we are talking about london which was very much, even today, of course, as any major city in Europe, a melting pot. So you have all those influences of different cultures coming together in that theme song, and it's giving a you know a depiction of a bustling and burgeoning city. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what the show depicted from beginning to end was this convergence of so many cultures, so many people, people who were needing and looking for a place to live and rather like Manhattan might have been at a different time. Uh, But just this amazing convergence of cultures and languages, uh, people, uh, and that that was the bait, you know, one of the basis of this show. Right, because every other episode, it seemed like you were uh, being introduced to a new culture that was settling into that east end of London. Because, of course, this is the more affordable housing, as we would say, these days. And, you know, one of the characters that we met was a woman who ran an orphanage for Jewish children and... In that period of history, there had been a revolution in Russia that had, you know, exiled a lot of people of, of Jewish faith. Sure. And, and and this was a huge deal, unfortunately. But, yeah, the, the climate of the time, the feelings against the Jews that were just trying to come in to have some sort of life and and... They were opposed. One of the uh, more interesting um, aspects of that, (laughs) that these multiple cultures coming in that I enjoyed in the series, there was this Kung Fu guy. And (laughs) uh, he could take care of five or six police guys at once. And everybody was totally baffled by it. But, uh, yeah, that was the influx of the Asian cultures that came in and some of their fighting style. And it was uh, a fun, interesting way to show that these British cops had never seen anything like Right. They didn't know what to think. They didn't know how to defend themselves. And quite interesting nowadays, you know, it's 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 almost second nature for a lot of these programs for them for a police officer to know self-defense like that. But these are people in this time frame who are physical in nature. You get in a fist fight and the officers carried a what I know is called a billy club. You know, yes. only the detec- only the top detectives got to carry a pistol. Yeah. Well, and and one of the the overarching stories of the entire series from beginning to end is the evolution of this idea that because you're the police, you could take some guy you suspected of anything, you could beat the shit out of and get a confession. And that is explored. And eventually, they understand that, wow, beating someone until an inch of their lives may not really bring us the truth. But fascinating that they could explore that. Yeah. And one of the um, harsher elements of this series that led to some people saying, I didn't like that, is the historical quote-unquote accuracy. You know, women were treated badly in those days. And I'm sorry, if you're going to try to be historically accurate, you can't make it up that people were being treated nicer. It's like how we call it 
pardon the term, whitewashing history. Yeah, I I feel like this is just one of those shows I am so enthusiastic about. I can't help. As as uh, we're talking about the first episode, there, it's it's you know it's giving you a taste of the times. It's getting you in the mindset of the day-to-day lives that these people are going through. And I was really impressed because we think of all these modern conveniences that we have and how reliant we are upon things. But even though this is more than a century ago, day-to-day life was very much similar. I mean, you, you woke up to go to work, you know, you, you took your bath, you had your breakfast, you know, if, if you if you don't drive, you walked to work. And at this point, they did have lights at night, which were a new thing at the time, of course. But, um, you know, they they were one of the things that the show was criticized for. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just simply an observation was that it was graphic. And yeah, um, you get that right in the beginning, you know, with a name like Ripper Street, I'm not expecting there to be, um, you know, a, a daycare supervisor holding my hand and showing me a coloring book. Uh, yeah. You know, we get the American doctor, uh, Dr. Jackson, and uh, he's brought in because he's the best of the best and she knows his stuff. And somehow the detective inspector, um, what's his name? The, the detective inspector Reed. Uh, he's, yeah, Reed. Ed, Edmund Reed. Edmund Reed, a gentleman, of course, by that name. Uh, and all these guys, of course, wore hats because that, that, that was a thing in Victorian times. You know, you went outdoors and you, you put your hat on, you came in to sit at the dinner table, you took off your hat. Um, right. but, uh, Mr. Reed there, he seemed to have known Dr. Jackson, at least by reputation, because Dr. Jackson was somewhat accomplished. He'd been a surgeon during the, the, uh, the American revolution, which had, well, not the revolution, sorry, the civil war. That yes. Just thank you. Right. So, uh, here's, here, Dr. Jackson's is brought in the American because this is a British show, and of course he's supposed to stick out like a sore thumb because he's the only one who's who's not a local, and uh, right. And uh, through the entire series, he's he's referred to as the the American. <laughs> so if you're watching it from uh, from the perspective of being an outsider, he's the one you got to root for, you know. But uh, he's yeah, actually, yeah, he shows his skills right from the beginning there, and as Toppy was saying. He, you know, uh, he clues you in that the the victim in this first episode is showing all the characteristics, all the trademarks of this murderer, this Jack the Ripper, who literally tore up the the Whitechapel district, the East End of London, where poverty was just in your face in those days. Mm-hmm. So right away, what we seem to have here is. A Victorian area show that is kind of like, uh, the, you know, the modern day shows you see out there that are fully involved with forensic science and, and you know, DNA and all that. What are these shows? CSI, blah, blah, CSI, boo. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, Ripper Street goes way back to the beginning of any kind kind of forensic science or DNA and it's before all that and yet as the story progresses it incorporates all of the many many things that were going on in that era of education of of, um, things that became known like germ therapy it was during this time when Science found out, oh, a lot of disease is caused by these microscopic things that we've suddenly found in our microscope. And actually, surgeons started washing their hands for the first time. So there's all of the things that come into play that are of a historical nature in 
real life that happened at that time, and the stories involving these characters incorporate wonderful these historic discoveries, and they bring them into their story, and we find things like, oh, I don't know, there's so many, but let's just uh, take them right off. Uh, first of all, a reality in the time, well, Jack the Ripper. But the show also brought in the telegraph and Morse code. Later on in later episodes, the telephone was right there behind. Um, so there were all kinds of things. G.J., what do you remember, like the, the science or the history behind some of the stories? Is there anything you Well, what fascinated me most was, you know, seeing the scenes where the doctor, Dr. Jackson, is analyzing these bodies that are being brought in to do the autopsies. Now, of course, I am a great fan of history and I love museums, but I couldn't tell you what the techniques were for at the time. You know, um, I'm used to other shows, as you were saying, like CSI and all the other police shows that have come out since. But I was just amazed to see that the doctor was able to look at this body on the slab and see, you know, just based upon the way he positioned it, oh, well, the gunshot had to have come from this direction, or the knife had to have been, you know, held by a left-handed person. And this is all without all the technology that we have today, where we've got, like, you know, you've got um, ultraviolet cameras, where you can tell if someone's dead, uh, you know, forensics where they, they shoot a bullet into a vat of gel to see if, if uh, you know, the the person was left-handed or if the, the bullet matched this type of gun. So it, it really was fascinating to see that this era is when things really got going because the science was advancing. And this was the the height of the industrial age it, when you look at history from the perspective of the country it was in this is called the victorian times because in england at the time victoria was their queen but in reality right. for, for the rest of the the world it was the industrial revolution you had steam power coming into places and people who were doing manual labor started being replaced slowly. But in a lot of cases in the beginning, it was making their jobs easier. Yeah. Um, so there's a, this fascinating era of history that's incorporated in the storylines. For example, uh, it was pre, okay. <laughs> nobody had figured out fingerprinting yet. Right. But in the, series Edmund Reed spent a lot of time obsessed over creating a catalog or at least document the criminals that he brought in so he would measure their skull and he would do things to try to identify them I and photography was a part of it but he would measure their skull and take measurements so that uh, if they were ever involved another crime, they would be identified just the way today is that fingerprints are a way that law enforcement can go in and say, ah, okay, this is connected. But uh, that's all they had at the time. But Edmund Reed had this entire that he spent uh, gathering information and cataloging. And the uh, the very idea of cataloging information was new at the time. And the fact that he spent all this time documenting things, writing it down, uh, uh, would eventually pay off in a way that today we have an entire criminal uh, backlog of of ways that we identify it's all connected fingerprints blah 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 record before then there was no such thing as anybody keeping records of anything so that was another thing there were so many others uh 
some of the stories involve the beginning of photography, the beginning. Uh, they had a, an episode that featured an incredibly early version of a, of a, a film, uh, of a motion picture thing. And uh, they, one of the episodes has a snuff uh, way back then. Uh, you know, in the silent movie days, somebody decided, we'll do a snuff film. It had one of the major elements was sensational journalism. All of the stuff that you see in, in the magazines today, the Star Magazine or whatever, these stupid things that are at the checkout counter where you can see <laughs> who's married who and who's effing who. Oh, yeah, the tabloids. The tabloid journalism. That all started during this period. And frankly, it was started by Jack the Ripper. Um, because newspapers suddenly realized that they could increase their readership by writing sensational stories uh, about these weird things that were happening. And guess what? Well, the newspapers realized, well, if you're going to be that sensational, I'm going to write even more sensational. That was the beginning of these lurid newspaper that documented everything and people bought those papers this is before radio bought these papers and read them and they made tons of money on all of this stuff that was going on they sure did now you you raised a good point there about the sensationalism there they wrote up these stories about murders that were taking place and, you know, uh, for the time, it was new. And, of course, nowadays we, un we realize that by just based upon the evidence presented in the crimes that took place in that period, they only had five signature, is what they've, they've defined them as, murders that took place, which they believe were all exacted by the same individual. And, of course... We have since come to know of crimes that are committed in a similar fashion as being a copycat. So that sensationalist journalism also led to others who, who may have been of a troubled nature seeking attention to commit copycat murders. Right. And, um, and actually, that's a big part of the Jack the Ripper mystery. And why it's still a mystery is no one's actually sure if one person ever committed those crimes because the newspapers at the time sensationalized everything and wanted a title to the murderer, Jack the Ripper, to be prominent. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, no one really knows if it was one person or a couple. Maybe somebody copycatted somebody. Who knows? No, we I, don't really know. You know. Seeing as this is a time frame that took place just over a century ago, it is far enough back that we wonder about what life was like back then. But, you know, you, you hear these stories that are in the episodes, and it makes you realize that things were bad back then. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, you have people who are in the street who are are dying, and it's just because of the conditions of their living. You know, we, right. we, we don't have sliced bread in a nice little plastic bag with a twist tie. No, you got to get your bread from the bakery each day they make it, or, you know, you're getting what they throw out at the end of the day. And... I don't know about you, but I have a couple of episodes that I found to, uh, you know, rang home with me. They they were kind of my favorites of, of what I've seen of the show. Uh, I was a little saddened, and, you know, of course, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but as we get uh, to the end of the first season and go into the second, um, in the very beginning, we meet, uh, you know, Detective Inspector Reed and his wife, and his wife seems to be a very headstrong lady. She has 
a sense of purpose. And she's even got it in her mind that she's going to help other women, which it was a, is a very outgoing point of view at the time, of course. But then her character kind of takes a back burner. And uh, that's due in part, of course, because the relationship between the two characters is strained. I want to go ahead and talk about some of our favorite uh, points in the show. Now, I have a couple of episodes that I I find to be some of my favorites, but uh, I was wondering, what were your favorite moments in the show? Well, they were early on. Um, I think, for me, the resolution of a storyline that took place from episode or season or series, they call them over there, series one through three, was that Edmund Reed had a daughter who apparently died, or did she? And <laughs> the course of the three series, the three seasons, you find out what happened to poor Edmund Reed's daughter. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the storyline that hooked me and got me in my gut and, and made me say, holy damn F, this is a good show. <laughs> <laughs> and the resolution of it and how it came out it was awesome I would agree with you that I was hooked when we learned that the for for lack of a, a different name I see his title was detective inspector but in an American police show he would have been the captain um, yeah but, you know, we, you learn that the captain has suffered a loss right in the beginning of the show. And, yes. uh, of course, there's there's a twist. Um, you know, you think that his daughter has died. But then uh, if you hang on for the ride, you learn, no, she didn't die. She just disappeared. Yes. So, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I enjoyed that part of the story. Um, two examples that I have of episodes that um, sort of speak for the times that this were, was set in was there was an episode where there was a, sort of an epidemic. There was an outbreak of sickness that was traveling through the city. And yes. people were just dying mysteriously. People were showing up in the police precinct. And, of course... This show gets graphic at times, and in fact, one of the critiques of it was, um, you know, they should air this after dinner because, well, people might be eating. Um, <laughs> but uh, true, you know, we we have people showing up in the precinct getting sick and then dying shortly after. And as we were talking about the the science that was evolving at the time. Uh, we learned through the course of the story that people were being poisoned. It wasn't some mysterious illness. It wasn't like the Black Death that had struck uh, Europe. Uh, what they what they feared was it, that it was an outbreak of cholera, and they called it what the prince, the king. What did they call? It? Oh, I don't remember. But I was astounded to find that they were able to narrow it down and figure out that it was uh, the flour was being poisoned in a neighborhood bakery. Right. And, and the reason was somewhat complicated, but some guy, well, he decided that, okay, you got Jack the Ripper who made a name for himself. He became excited about this and he was bonkers crazy. And he realized that, well, I can kill a hell of a lot more people than Jack the Ripper if I just poison this flower that people make into bread. And that was kind of that story. And, uh, yeah, they foiled it. And it was in the nick of time because Whitechapel had become overcome by by the sickness and come to find out it was the damn bread they were eating. 
Yeah, and I, I guess that would be an example in the storyline where sometimes on on these shows, because it, it it's no surprise that with British television, they don't let the show go on for years and years like we do with some of our shows. <laughs> you know, the the yeah. the emphasis sometimes could be arguably considered to be quality versus quantity. And so you get these story arcs and the, uh, you know, detective inspector's wife has it in her mind that she's going to help women. Well, if you get too progressive and you get too, you know, important in the community, that's going to change the story. And if we're trying to be somewhat historically accurate, they can't do that because it didn't happen back then. And his, his wife had a, a mission that she was going to help women. She was opening a shelter for abused women, and some of those women were the sex workers. Right. And then another idea of history that was brought in, um, again, um, there were so many other things, such as the Elephant Man was a character for in two episodes of this series, and they brought him in in a completely natural, believable way. But the historical Elephant Man, whose name I cannot recall. Oh, it was Joseph Merrick. Thank you. Was brought into an episode, and it anchors it so well into that time and period, and presents Merrick in a wonderful way. And it's just what the series did so damn well. And they had other episodes, electricity, direct current versus alternating current, as in Tesla versus Edison. That was brought into a plot line. So was spiritualism, which was a major thing in recreation and belief at the time. Uh, everybody believed you could get a message from your relative in a seance. That was a big thing. <laughs> and there were so many other things. The match strike girls who oh. were horribly disfigured by the phosphorus that was used. Oh, I'm so making... glad you brought that up because that was actually yeah. going to be my other favorite. Yeah. And of course, uh, being a you know a fan of history, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about this series is as I'm going along and I'm encountering these moments in history, I think to myself, I wonder, did that really happen? And then I go to look at it up on my you know on my phone, it's in my pocket, in my hand, <laughs> and I'm reading all of a sudden. Now, I think that's the the mark of a good show, some good writing. Now, suddenly, I'm wanting to learn about the Matchstick Girls just because it was in an episode of Ripper Street. Exactly. But you yeah. were saying that the these these factory these women that worked in the factories that made matches because, of course, back then we didn't have electricity. We had kerosene lamps or candles. And, you know, matches, for lack of a better term, sold like hotcakes. And they were made with a hazardous compound that people should have been wearing masks when they were handling them. And these terrible toxic chemicals actually leached into people's blood. And we learned things that we know now that certain parts of your body are more susceptible to your environment and your skin is constantly regenerating. That's why people have dandruff. That's why you clean your lint trap on your dryer when you wash your clothes. But your jawbone is constantly rebuilding itself because of us using it to talk and to chew our food. And these poor ladies that worked in the match factory, the phosphorus leached into their bones and robbed it of calcium and actually disfigured their faces. And uh, Ripper Street incorporated this tragic 
reality into a storyline. It was very cleverly done, and it's an example of why I'm so enthused about this uh, TV series. And I would say, just as a side note, one of the things that I found uh, most interesting about that episode is that they found a way to get the attention of the madam of the brothel. You know, she thinks that she's a smart businesswoman because she's giving women an opportunity to be independent. But these matchstick girls, they draw their cause to her attention. Of course, she gets abducted as part of the plot. But in the end, she's, she's uh, you know, asking herself some questions like, who's pulling the strings here? Am I the one who's in charge of my own destiny? Uh, she has a great story arc from beginning to end. And so do the rest of them. Not one character that begins at the beginning of the series remains the same. They are all deeply changed as one season leads into another because of things that happen to them. And it's just part of the story that keeps you like, oh my god, I care oh i care about these characters and the next thing that happens to them makes you go oh my god <laughs> oh now we are getting close to the end here so we're going to introduce a section that i like to call what's on your snack tray we're going to recommend some other programs that are similar to ripper street because you might like these too. If you liked Ripper Street, there's a few other shows you might want to check out. Um, it wouldn't probably surprise you to know that there is a similarly themed show from 2017. It wasn't a BBC show. It was on ITV, which is kind of like our network stations, ABC versus Fox. There was a show called Harlots. <laughs> <laughs> Quite uh, up front there with the name. It says the series focuses on Margaret Wells, who runs a brothel in 18th century England and struggles to raise her daughters in a chaotic household. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Hubby and I are going to watch at least one episode of that before the weekend's out. Yes! Good for you. <laughs> and then there was a series named after the same district, Whitechapel, which ran from 09 to, uh, to 2013. Modern crimes with a connection to the past. So these are sort of copycat murders that are taking place in modern times that harken back to the stylings of Jack the Ripper, Whitechapel. And then lastly, honorable mention, the Murdoch Mysteries was a Canadian storyline. It takes place in 1890s Canada. A police inspector applies the latest scientific methods of deduction, much to the chagrin of his superiors. So, <laughs> Excellent. I also just want to briefly mentioned available on YouTube is a British miniseries that stars oh my god his name is leaving me uh, uh, oh hell never mind <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he's a Anyways, never mind, because suddenly my mind is blank it's the end of an episode DJ Put those damn coins in the damn gumball machine. All right. Jingle, jingle. Ooh, I think that landed on my end of the desk here. So next time on Matinee Minutia, and we'll be getting together in two weeks from tonight. So that will be on Friday, April 19th. We're going to be talking about a Japanese animated series, live action show, and uh, we've got people in all sorts of costumes of different colors. Yes, we're talking about the Power Rangers, and this is a listener request, so you'll be getting a special bow from our senior showgirl in doing a fan dance for our listener. And we may even have a special guest to talk about that. All right. 
Well, the, uh, folks, if that doesn't show you how crazy Matinee Minucci is from going from Ripper Street to Power Rangers, I don't know what will. But we're going to enjoy it. Right, DJ? We certainly are. So I think it's time to say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Good night. And thank you, everyone who showed up for our live show. And I, yeah. <laughs> good night, folks. All right, good. Thank Let's you for get out of to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.